Hello and welcome to The Grove Zone. You have tuned into the podcast of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. At Union Grove, we are learning, serving, giving, and connecting under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anthony Clark, Sr. For more information on Union Grove, find us on the web at www.thegrovewr.org. And now, here's a word from the Lord. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. And uh, I'm only going to read verse 1. Keep your Bible or your app open as I've been asking you the past couple weeks as we've been streaming together. uh, I hope you have the Bible available on another, through some other means, whether it's an actual Bible in your hand as you stream with us on your respective device or you have another device where you can open another app, your Bible app, and uh, read along with me because we may look at several verses here in Romans chapter 6 as we deal with the Word of God for today. I'm only going to read that first verse in a little in a, in a quick piece of the second, but we're going to deal with a lot of verses here in Romans chapter six, and uh, and trust God to breathe on this word uh, and to move behind His word to make it live in our hearts. Verse one, King James version, raises a very powerful question: What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The very beginning of verse two. God forbid. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. I just want to wrestle with that question. Shall we continue in sin? Can, shall we continue in sin? Father, help me today. Help me to preach your word. Anoint me afresh and anew to share your word with your people. I pray, God, that you move so. Move so that edification happens. Build us up. Strengthen us. Sanctify us. Mature us. Empower us. Give us hope, God. Intensify our worship as we journey through your word. And we need you to help us to preach it and to receive it. We claim it done, and we claim the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Simple question. Shall we continue in sin? But before Paul raises that question to the the Roman saints, he raised another question at the very beginning of verse one. He said, what shall we say then? What shall we what shall we say then? And this is in light of uh, an argument that he is that he has begun chapters ago and he's building this argument up. But at the very end of chapter five, very end of chapter five, uh, Paul really uh, emphasize this justification, justification. In chapter 5, there's an argument for justification, and uh, early, or, or rather late there, uh, in chapter 5, he really places an emphasis on how the believer in Jesus Christ is justified, justified, justified. To be justified, it's, it's a legal term. It's a legal term, and as I've shared with Union Grove on numerous occasions, to be justified is a legal term. It means that, the, that there is an offender who is definitely guilty of committing a crime. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It doesn't have to be proven. It is a fact. The, the, the offender is definitely guilty, definitely guilty. But when they appear before the judge who knows that they're guilty, the judge declares them innocent and treats them as if they had not committed the offense. 
An easy way to understand justification, which is a doctrine, a major doctrine of the church, is, is the doctrine that, that teaches us that we're guilty of offending God by being sinners. We're guilty of offending God's holiness because we are sinners. But we stand before God, our judge, with Jesus Christ as our defending attorney. And because of our faith in Jesus, because of our faith in his sacrificial death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection, just by virtue of our faith and trust in him, God then looks at us through Jesus and declares us innocent. He declares us innocent. We're still guilty, but we're treated as if we had never sinned. An easy way to understand justification is we're guilty of sin. We're guilty of offending the holiness of God. But God, because of his grace, because of his son Jesus and our faith in him, he treats us, watch this y'all, just as if we had never sinned. Even though we had sinned and were guilty of offending the holiness of God. Justification, Paul argues, justification is God's grace being manifest in our as in response to our faith in Christ, where he then treats us just as if we had never sinned. Paul goes on to argue at the end of chapter 5 of the book of Romans that throughout the ages, that as sin amongst the people of God has increased and abounded era after era and generation after generation, that God would respond to such sin with an abundance of grace. I, the, the way I understand this, y'all, is uh, the way I understand it is, is that as, as the people of God prior to Jesus was uh, dominated by sin, as Paul would argue, they couldn't help but sin because they were dominated by sin. Sin reigned over their life. And sin basically is missing the mark. It's the power of darkness that causes us to, to disobey God. And Paul argued that the people of God were dominated. They're dominated. Anyone who's outside of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is dominated by sin. But Paul argued that the people of God, uh, generation after generation, era after era, uh, in fact, mankind would, would continually sin against God, but God would continually abound with grace towards mankind especially his own people. And again, the way I understand this is, uh, especially with the people of God, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, that despite how they sinned against God, despite how they would turn their backs on God and worship idols and other gods, and how prophet after prophet, era after era, generation after generation, prophet after prophet would warn the people of God of their sin and their idolatrous ways, but they would yet, they will yet have their backs turned toward God and God would abound, abound grace toward them and how he would yet claim them as his own people. For, for the grace of God is demonstrated when God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, even though we don't deserve it. That's what makes grace so amazing is, is God loving us so and showing us such care, such, such, such love and such compassion even when we do not deserve it, and the people of Israel in particular, the children of Israel in particular, would generation after generation sin against God, sin against God. But God will yet claim them as his own. That's grace. So then Paul, Paul continues this argument in chapter 6. In fact, it continues in chapter 6, 7, and 8. But in chapter 6, now Paul begins the chapter saying, uh, raising the question, what shall we say then? 
What shall we say since, since God can look at his chosen people who sin against him and would even go so far as to worship other idols? And Paul doesn't mention this in particular, but he does mention how their sin would increase, but yet God's grace toward them would increase as well. So Paul, uh, an arguing justification in how we can receive justification, salvation from God, being delivered from sin, being delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin. Paul is, is, is raising the question, since it is a free gift, since justification is when we're, we offend the holiness of God and can be treated just as if we had not sinned at all. Paul then raises the question, shall we continue in sin? Shall we? Does it not matter how we live? Can one be forgiven of their sins by the grace of God, receive undeserved mercy, unearned mercy and forgiveness? Does it then not matter to God how man lives? Does it not matter to God how his people live? Shall we continue in sin? Now, Paul has been arguing for how, how gracious God has been to mankind. Here in chapter 6, Paul is going to be a little more particular in addressing the people of God. So in chapter, in chapter 6, verse 1, when he raises the question, shall we, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That we is a lot more particular. He's, he's posing this question to the people of God, to those of us who have been justified by the grace of God. Shall we continue in sin shall we who who have been saved by grace receive salvation eternal life as a free gift of God shall we continue in sin and let's pay particular attention to that word continue that word continue in Romans chapter 6 verse 1 it, it doesn't mean to continually sin habitually or uh, uh, to continue sin uh, accidentally or even habitually, it means, watch this, it means, it's even deeper than that. It means, shall we continue, the word continue means, to reside in, to abide in. It's, it's like, shall we who have been justified by grace, saved by grace, justified, treated, although we were guilty, treated as if we were innocent, shall we continue shall we reside in sin watch this shall we live as if we're sheltered in place in sin shall we continue to live like that shall 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 we continue to live as if we have no other options but to live in sin shall we continue to live as if we're we're under the dominion of sin paul is saying no Oh, heck, no, that word God, for, that phrase God forbid is very strong, very strong. If we weren't in church, I could tell you just how emphatic it means. You know, when you really want to tell somebody, oh, no, oh, oh, heck, no. And sometimes you want to be even stronger and more emphatic than that. That's how strong and emphatic Paul is. Oh, heck to the no, no, no. Shall we continue in sin? No, no. Even looking at this from a logical standpoint. Even looking at, the, looking at this from a logical standpoint, as, as persons who have descended from slaves, I want you to consider something with me very quickly. We're going to move on. I want you to consider that if you were to uh, be sheltered in place during this pandemic in slave quarters, literal slave quarters. I know you feel enslaved because you can't go anywhere, but I'm talking about literal slave quarters where you're living on a plantation, where you are indeed a slave. 
and ain't nobody studying your health, ain't nobody studying your safety. I'm saying that you are sheltered in place in slave quarters, but you still got to go out and pick that cotton and slop those hogs and, and do all of the other menial chores that our ancestors, the slaves here in America, had to endure. How many of you would opt for that? How many of you would choose to go into that? How many of you would choose to leave your, your precious subdivision in Bonaire or, or Kathleen or Centerville, Georgia, or your, or your palatial palace in Flint, Michigan, or, or Dallas, Texas, Oklahoma, Brooklyn, New York, wherever you're streaming from? How many of you would opt to leave where you're living right now and go move into a plantation, move into a slave's quarters on a plantation, and trade in the life you have now for that of a literal slave? I think I know your answer. I think, I, I think, I, I think it's fair uh, to assume, safe to assume, that no one streaming would opt for that lifestyle. I know you're probably saying, I ain't about to be nobody's slave. I ain't about to be on nobody's plantation. I ain't about to pick nobody's cotton. Y'all, this whole thing with that notion with me is so serious. I wouldn't even buy a house in a subdivision with plantation in the name. I don't even want to live on a street with plantation on the name unless it says Clark Plantation. Now, I live in a subdivision that says Clark Plantation. That's just me. That's just me. That's how deeply embedded that is with me. None of us would opt for that life of slavery. It makes no sense. Makes no sense for someone who could be an engineer or a dentist or, or, or a surgeon or a school teacher would opt rather to be a slave on someone's plantation. No one would opt to that. Is that ludicrous? Is that ridiculous of a notion? And Paul argues that, that not only is it illogical, it's, it's beyond illogical for anyone saved by grace to be a slave to sin, Paul argues it is mechanically impossible. It's mechanically impossible that those of us who have been freed from sin can no longer live, can no longer continue in sin. It can't be done. It can't be because, because let, me, let me tell you why. A couple of things real quick and we're going to raise up. Let me tell you why. Number one, shall we continue in sin? No, because... We don't take grace for granted. We don't take grace for granted. In verse 1, Paul uh, is arguing, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Paul says, we don't take grace for granted. Although God has been very gracious throughout the annals of history, although God has been very gracious to you and to me, Paul says we cannot continue in sin it is mechanically impossible to be saved from sin but yet continue to live as if you're still in your sins because it wouldn't cause grace to abound it would not cause grace to abound grace we can't take grace for granted grace y'all is a gift that is not to be taken for granted we are saved by grace, and grace is more, it describes more than the disposition of God. Grace describes God in action. Grace is God helping us with what we cannot do for ourselves. It's God moving to help us. And in salvation, salvation happened by grace because God moved to rescue us. God moved to deliver us. God moved to snatch us from the grip of sin and darkness. God moved, and we cannot take that grace for granted. 
is so powerful, is so amazing, it cannot be taken for granted. We are saved by grace. We are justified by grace. And this grace, although undeserved, is not to be taken for granted. This gift of grace, watch this, y'all, makes us responsible grace bearers. It makes us responsible grace bearers. And this may not sound right to some of you, but I'm going to say it. I believe it's true. Grace is a free gift with strings attached. It's a free gift with strings attached. What do you mean by that, Pastor Clark? Grace is just a free gift. You don't do anything to earn it. I agree. Grace in salvation is a gift from God with strings attached. James put it this way. Faith without works is dead. When grace has come into your life to save you and snatch you from the grip of sin, you, that, that happens because of faith in Christ. This faith in Christ has some strings attached. And the strings simply are, let your life reflect, your life must reflect that you have that faith and that you've been saved by the amazing grace of God. You cannot be saved and be irresponsible in salvation. Being saved and being irresponsible in salvation is a contradiction in terms. Anyone who has been saved by the grace of God becomes a responsible grace bearer. Paul is arguing that it's impossible. It's impossible for one to be great, to be saved by grace and then take grace for granted. And I want to challenge everyone in ministry, everyone in any kind of ministry. Let's let's be careful what we're emphasizing in our ministries. For there are some ministries that can emphasize certain things and leave some certain things out. Here's something I want to share with you. Ministry that emphasizes grace so much that it overlooks obedience is guilty of grace abuse. Ministry that emphasizes grace so much that it overlooks obedience is guilty of grace abuse. And there are some of us placing such emphasis on grace that it, that it could cause some people who hear it to become irresponsible followers of Jesus. Irresponsible for your behavior, irresponsible for your conduct, irresponsible for the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart. Praise God for his grace, but being saved by grace does not give us license to irresponsible living. Being saved by grace does not give us license and does not enable us. It does not enable us uh, or allow us to live, as some of the old folk would say, any old kind of way. Just doesn't happen. Grace is a free gift with strings attached. Now, it's not conditional. It is unconditional. It is unconditional, but there are strings attached. When you have been a recipient of the saving grace of God, it's going to show up in your life. It has to. According to the scriptures, it has to. Otherwise, we must question whether or not we are saved. And all of us in ministry, let's emphasize grace but not overlook obedience. Paul's argument simply, y'all, is shall we continue in sin? We can't because we don't take grace for granted. Here's the second thing I want to argue uh, based on Paul's argument here in Romans chapter 6. Number two, shall we continue in sin? No, because we've been changed. No, we shall not continue in sin because we have been changed. And as Paul is going to share with us uh, in Romans chapter 6, that the believer who's been saved by grace, the believer who's been justified, has been changed. 
changed. Look at verse number four. Let's look at verse number four. Romans chapter six, verse four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father. Even so, here it is. We also should walk in newness of life. We've been changed. When you've been justified by grace, that same grace changes you. That same power changes you. It changes you. Look at verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That's powerful, y'all. Our old man, the one who came to Jesus just as I was, weary, wounded, and sad. Paul says that old man has been crucified. That justified folks are crucified folks. Saved folks are crucified folks. Just as Jesus has been raised from the dead, which we celebrate today. Paul argues we too have been, have been buried in baptism. Buried in baptism through his spirit. Buried in baptism, but yet raised from that baptism. Just as Christ has been raised from the dead. And now by his grace we live changed lives. Justified folk are changed folk. Justified folk are folk who are walking in the newness of life. Y'all, what we have as a testimony is God, by his grace, has changed my life. And the resurrection of Jesus has made this possible for you and I to walk in the newness of life. We cannot continue in sin because we've been changed. We cannot be sheltered in place in sin because we've been changed. Is anybody praying with me today? Look at verse number 11 of Romans chapter 6. Verse number 11, the resurrection of Jesus has made it possible for me to live dead to sin and alive to God. Look at verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Y'all, the reason why we cannot continue in sin is because once Jesus saves us, once his blood washes our sins away, it comes with a power to change our nature. It comes with the power to cause us to die to sin, to be crucified to the power of sin. We're delivered, saved from the power of sin, and now we've been made alive to live unto God. Hallelujah. Peter picks up on this same uh, truth when he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. We've been changed. We've been changed. Justified folk are changed folk. Justified folk are dead to sin, and we are alive to God. Oh, but don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted, y'all. Sin, sin is powerful. Sin is powerful. Even though we've been saved from the power of sin, we're saved from the penalty of sin, uh, we still struggle with sin. We still struggle with sin. We still struggle. Uh, in fact, Paul argued in James, uh, uh, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 20 and 21, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Look at this 21st verse, Romans chapter 5. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful gift 
what wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord y'all sin is powerful it's powerful it's so powerful it can still cause us to struggle with sin cause us to struggle with sin but the life given to me in my salvation is more powerful than the death given me through sin the life given to me in my salvation is more powerful than the life than the death given through sin when Jesus said if I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men unto me Jesus I know this is going to burst some of y'all bubble but Jesus was not talking about praise when Jesus uttered the words if I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men unto me he was not talking about praise and I'd appreciate it if my preachers my teachers my worship leaders if you would stop making that to mean praise Jesus was not talking about praise when Jesus talked about being lifted up from the earth he was talking about being lifted up on a cross and even ascending from the earth unto the right hand of the father where he now sits he's talking about ascending if i be lifted up from the earth unto the right hand of the father i'll draw all men unto me but you know what's so wonderful about the very notion of jesus drawing all men unto him that in order for jesus to draw us to him he's got to draw us away from something else and the pull of jesus to draw me away from sin is more powerful than the than the draw of sin to keep me in sin and because he has ascended from the earth because he was listen because he died on the cross because he shed his blood and was buried in a borrowed grave raised early on a Sunday morning ascended to the right hand of the father now the drawing power of Jesus can be so real in your life but you can't hold on to Jesus and hold on to the world at the same time when Jesus draws you unto himself he's drawing you away from the world he's drawing you away from darkness he's drawing you away from sin he's drawing you away from death the pull of the life Jesus gives is more powerful than the pull of death that sin gives that's what's so awesome about it and I know what you're saying I'm in the same boat with you I'm in the same boat with you because you're asking Pastor Clark if that's so true if that's so true why do I still struggle with sin why do I struggle? I know you won't post it in the comments you don't have to I'll say it for you some of us still struggle with sin power Pastor Clark if that's so power if that's so real if that's so true and that's so powerful why do I still struggle with sin and I want to challenge you to really think about that today I want you to think about that Paul is not saying that he's not raising the question uh, what shall we say then shall we continue to struggle with sin Paul is saying shall we continue to chill in sin shall we continue to abide in sin like there's nothing to it shall we continue to be comfortable in, in, in indulging in our sinful nature shall we continue living as if we're sheltered in place in sin the beautiful thing about struggling with sin is that your your struggle against sin is a sign of your salvation because before you got saved there was no struggle you were so dead there was no struggle and I just want to encourage somebody to understand that when you struggle against sin it's a sign of your salvation when you're struggling not to give in to your flesh it's a sign of your salvation when you struggle to live the way God would have you 
you to live. It's a sign that change has happened in your life because I'll be the first to tell you, I haven't always struggled against sin. I haven't always struggled against my flesh. But when Jesus got a hold of my life, he changed me and put some struggle deep down in my soul. Jesus put the desire to live holy, the desire to live right. And so now the sign of my salvation is that I struggle to live holy and walk upright before God. I want you to celebrate your struggle, your struggle against sin. Celebrate your struggle against your flesh. And I know, I know you're so discouraged because you keep giving in. I know you're so discouraged and depressed because you keep giving in. But I just want you to understand that just as you keep giving in, if you keep praying, if you keep fasting, if you keep declaring, if you keep getting in the word of God, if you keep believing that God has done something on the inside of you to change you, to cause your old nature to die and your new nature to come to life, what you will find over time is that you'll keep growing and you'll become more and more like the Jesus who saved you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One more thing and we're done. One more thing and we're done. Shall we continue in sin? Paul is trying to say it's mechanically impossible. We cannot take grace for granted. Uh, being saved, being justified is, is, is the result of a changed life. But the third thing I want to share, and I'm done. Uh, shall we continue in sin? No, because obedience to God is not optional. Obedience to God is not optional. Paul presents in his argument, Romans chapter 6, obedience is not optional. For the one who's been justified, their heart is changed. Their mind is changed. Their attitude towards God is changed. And obedience is not optional. I'm in verse number 13 of Romans chapter 6. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Here it is, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Hegs no. Hegs to the no, no, no. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His service ye are to whom ye obey? Whether uh, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your member servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your member servants to righteousness unto holiness. Paul talks about dominion here and masters and, and, and who we're going to obey. And let me let me drop this seed in your spirit. Everyone has a master. Everyone, no one is absolutely, totally free from the dominion of some powerful present reality. Every human being, everybody has a master. And Paul talks to us as if we choose who our master is going to be, who, who we're going to obey, whose voice we're going to obey, whose influence we're going to follow. Paul talks to us. He talks to us as if, as if we have a choice. Everybody has a master. Everyone, everyone in sin has a master. Everyone in any other religion has a master. Anyone who f claims to follow Christ has a master. All of us are, are, are slaves in obedience to some influence, every one of us, 
Every one of us. And so Paul is arguing that sin shall not have dominion over you. We are to be servants of God because obedience for justified folk is not an option. Obedience for saved folk is not an option. And again, I want to make it clear that there is a significant difference between struggling with sin and simply living in sin. Paul is not talking to folk who have decided to live in sin. Paul is talking to folk who, who are justified in struggling against sin. Let me drop this. I know it's going to be unpopular, but I'm going to say it anyway. Anyone, anyone who chooses to obey a master that is not of God and chooses a lifestyle of any sort that goes against the word of God cannot be lovingly confronted and then respond that he who is without sin cast the first stone in that scenario where the woman caught in adultery was brought, brought to Jesus and Jesus uh, his accusers uh, or her accusers were looking to see what Jesus was going to do and Jesus knelt down and wrote in the sand wrote in the wrote in the ground and then her her accusers left right uh, uh, let he who is without sin cast the first stone there are so many people who choose to live in sin when they're confronted about their lifestyle of sin, that they tend to respond, can nobody judge me, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And that's interesting that that quote will come out of the mouths of anyone who has decided to continue in sin as a lifestyle. Because in that same scenario, Jesus told the woman after her accusers had left, go and sin no more. Go, abandon a lifestyle of sin. Go, abandon choosing to be sheltered in place in sin. Go, but live a new life. Go, but take your relationship with God more seriously. Take obedience more seriously because obedience is not optional. And there are some of us, some of us, some of us who have made obedience optional. Obedience is not optional. There's a difference between struggling with sin and simply living in sin. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, he did so because he was demonstrating that obedience is not optional. Is not optional. And because Jesus' obedience was not optional, the father declared his resurrection would not be optional. Isn't that something that when you when you decide that obedience would not be optional, God can show you favor. That's not optional. When when you decide to obey God as if it's not an option, God can open doors. That's not optional. And some of those doors that God opens, he can open doors to tombs that have had you dead for far too long. And I want to include and encourage somebody. Don't let uh, obedience unto God be an option. Make it not optional. Obedience is something that has to be has to be done. And I just want to encourage everybody in ministry again that sometimes we place too much of an emphasis on sin. Place too much of an emphasis on sin. And, and Paul, even in his argument in Romans chapter 6, he places a great emphasis on sin to get us to understand what God has already done to remedy the sin problem. That the resurrection of Jesus is the remedy for the sin problem because, because of Jesus dying for us and being raised from the grave. We too, when we accept him as our savior, the same power that raised him from the grave uh, comes into us and changes us in our nature from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. We must, we must, 
we must emphasize sin. And talking about sin has become so unpopular. Talking about sin has become so old school. Uh, but I want you to know that, that there needs to be some talk about sin, but you can't overemphasize sin. There are still some... Um, uh, I, I watched, I watched the, uh, the Clark Sisters movie last night. I'm sure a lot of y'all may have watched it last night, too. And it showed you that, that old school Church of God in Christ, rigid, you know, ritualistic, you know, sin is, you don't play around with sin. And some of you who have watched that movie, you watched that movie. Remember, uh, I think it was, uh, it was Nisi that came home, came to the door in pants. And, and Dr. Maddie Moss Clark wouldn't let her in the house with those pants on. And uh, she had to change. I can't remember which Clark sister it was, but she had to change into a skirt. She came back another day in a skirt. And then Dr. Maddie Moss Clark let her in. Because sometimes, y'all, some, in some churches, some ministries, there's such a, such a great emphasis on sin. Although we should talk about it, you can't emphasize sin too much because ministry that emphasizes sin so much that it overlooks grace may be guilty of lethal legalism. Ministry that emphasizes sin so much that it overlooks grace may be guilty of lethal legalism. That's why Jesus uttered the words to folk who struggled with sin, struggled with rules, struggled with rituals, struggled with religion. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I'll give you rest from religion. I'll give you rest from meaningless rituals. And I'll give, take my yoke upon you. Grace has strings attached. Grace has strings attached. When Jesus told us, take my yoke upon you, Jesus was, Jesus, was, Jesus was saying, enter a covenant relationship with me where I can guide you and direct you in living a disciplined life that pleases the Father. Grace comes with strings attached, but I can't place too much emphasis on grace where I overlook sin. I can't place so much emphasis on sin that I overlook grace. Otherwise, I may be guilty of lethal legalism. The ministry that emphasizes grace, obedience, and sin, watch this, can help me stand the rain. Yeah, I, I, need, I need ministry that places emphasis on, on all of it, all of it, grace, obedience, and sin. Why? Because it helps me stand the rain. Now, I'm not talking about R-A-I-N. I'm talking about R-E-I-G-N. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter, chapter 6, verse 12. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Somebody type in the comments, can you stand the rain? Can you stand it? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. Listen, we, we need to live lives so that, so that God reigns in our lives. Grace reigns in our lives. And it causes us to live a life to where obedience is not an option. I pray that's where you are today. I pray that that's what this, this Resurrection Sunday helps you to understand what Jesus has done in securing your salvation by dying on Calvary's cross, by taking nails in his hands, in his feet, spear in his side, crown of thorns on his head, that Jesus being brought down from that cross, placed in a borrowed grave early Sunday morning. I'm, I'm a Baptist preacher on Resurrection Day. I got to say it right. Early Sunday morning being raised from that grave, that it gives us power, power, power to, to appreciate grace and walk in grace, power to live changed lives, power to, to declare obedience is not an option. So then, 
Finally, Paul gives us something to do in verse 13. Verse 17. Verse 17, I'm done. Verse 17, gave, uh, Paul gives us something to do. He says, but God be thanked. I'm going to just stop right there. But God be thanked. If God has changed your life, you ought to tell him thank you. If God has justified you, you ought to tell him thank you. If God has saved you from the power of sin, you ought to tell him thank you. If God has given you the gift of grace, you, you got to tell him thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for sparing me. Thank you for delivering me from the old me. Thank you for crucifying the old me. Thank you for the hope of newness of life. Thank you, God, for the hope that I can change. I can be better. I can mature in Christ. I can become a new creature all because of the resurrection of Jesus. Shall we continue in sin? No. No, I'm not taking grace for granted. I'm not taking grace for granted. I've been changed by the power of God. Obedience is not an option. I pray that's where you are today. Don't continue in sin. Don't chill in sin. Don't give in to a sinful lifestyle, giving in to your sinful nature. This has been Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. If you're ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.